You're listening to Episode 7 of Season 3 of Partnerships and Possibilities, a podcast on leadership. In this episode, meetings. Hi, I'm Sharon. And I'm Diana. And we're going to be talking about leadership in organizations. Leadership in organization happens at all levels and takes many forms. So we thought we'd spend a little time today talking about meetings and um, how uh, a leader is responsible for setting the conditions that make meetings more or less effective. Mm -hmm. And it's a topic, you know, maybe it seems a bit mundane, but really when you think about it, most of us spend most of our lives in meetings. Yeah. Um, And when they're badly run, like I, when I was at last week, I, I just... I I barely could contain myself and um I was at a at a meeting run by um the person who's responsible in our homeowners association for um landscape and architecture and we had a there were more than usual uh the usual number of people at this meeting and people were very upset about a particular issue involving a tennis court or whatever. And anyway, everybody was talking at once and they were not listening to each other. And I said, I can't hear what's going on or what's being said. Could we just have one person speak at a time? Because the ostensible chairman was doing nothing. (laughs) And when I said this, a woman sitting near me said, oh, it doesn't matter. And I was so floored at her response to me. It doesn't matter that I can't hear or whatever, that I was just speechless. And since I got that kind of response, I didn't really think it was, you know, it would be a very good thing for me to um, try to sort of take charge. Begin to explain why it yes, matters. Yes, right, right. Um, <laughs> I decided I'd better just get mm-hmm. out of there, um, yeah. which I did in short order. But um, it just reminded me of how dysfunctional, uh, you know, a meeting can turn out to be. And, you, you know, you hear people complaining all the time. It's not so much that they have to be in meetings. It's uh, being in useless meetings. Bad meetings. Or they're bad meetings. Yeah. So let's talk about the difference between being the leader and being the facilitator, which mm-hmm. sometimes we try to do both in one role, which right. is hard for even the most talented person. Right. Um, but let's talk a little bit about what the differences might be and um, and focus maybe more on the, the leader's part in that. Mm-hmm. Well, and and I think when you say meeting, uh, I, I think we can define that fairly broadly. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there are the meetings like your homeowners meeting, which, you know, who knows what was trying, what that was trying to happen there, but maybe it was dissemination of information or collection of information, like happens in status meetings, right? right? 
Maybe it's a decision making meeting. It, in that, in this case, it was a decision making. Well, meeting, ostensibly, but it was, <laughs> ostensibly, but it was impossible to get yeah. to. Or uh, a meeting where a number of people are all trying to learn something, mm -hmm. uh, which is different than just having information passed out. Right, you're actually taking that information and and wanting to manipulate it, massage it, process it, training, process it in some way. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. and that which might go all the way into a training. Yeah. But all of those are meetings where a number of people come together and need to accomplish something. Right. Together, as you know, outside of a work process. Right. Yeah. So, um, so we're talking about meetings broadly. Yeah. And um, I think it, it is a place where particularly managers in organizations spend a lot of their time going from meeting to meeting. Mm -hmm. And, you know, being someone who spends a fair amount of time either facilitating other people's meetings or when I'm with my peers, being in meetings with people who our facilitators, I find that I, I have the luxury of being in a lot of very well-run meetings mm -hmm. and that when I end up in one <laughs> right. that isn't, right. I, I probably have less patience than anybody, just sort of like you. Yeah. Um, I, you know, that's just, it just feels like such a colossal waste of my time mm -hmm. um, to be in a poorly run meeting. Right. When and and maybe it hurts more because I know things could be so different, um, right? You know. And it isn't rocket science, right? I mean, they could be different, and and you know you don't. It, it, it doesn't take a miracle to make them be different, right? Um, so, yeah. so for from your perspective, um, what what do you think, Diana? That the maybe some of the, the critical um, underpinnings are that make for a good meeting? Well, I mean, so much of this is, it, um, is somewhat linked with what I do in a retrospective or mm -hmm. what I do in a, in a liftoff or chartering meeting or you know, those kinds sure. of sort of standard sure. meetings that I do. But certainly the very first piece is making sure everybody is really present and ready to do the work. Mm -hmm. they, that they understand what the work is, they know how their time is going to be used, they've, they're able to uh, set aside any other sort of nagging concerns that they might be carrying around with them as baggage. Um, you know, leave your suitcase at the door kind of thing, and we're going to focus, and, and that, that everybody knows what the meeting is about. Yeah, that's a big that one. is so essential. I yeah. mean, it's kind of a blinding glimpse of the obvious, right. but, but it is amazing to me how many times I hear people say, well, we're having this meeting, and there's no about what. Yeah. You know, they, they're, they're not clear about the purpose of the meeting and what the outcome needs to be. Right. So we're coming together to do whatever we need to do to make a decision about X, right. whatever. Or but, to agree that we all have a common understanding right. about X. Right. Or, yeah. Right. Whatever it is. Yeah. So 
to me, that's job one. Yeah. For the leader. Right. I think if the leader's not clear about what they want as the outcome of the meeting, the facilitator is cooked. Right. right. So right. I don't like to be in that situation. Well, and the leader, you, and the leader is cooked as well. Well, right. But, yeah. Right. But the, it's the yeah. facilitator yeah. who often gets blamed yeah. if things don't right. happen. Remember years ago when we did that future search conference in Aurora? And we were clear about the outcome, and we thought our client was clear about, not Aurora. Wilsonville. Um, Wilsonville. Yeah. We thought our client was clear about the outcome, but she wasn't really. And so we got the outcome that the conference was designed that to get. That the conference planning committee wanted. Right. Yes. But it wasn't the outcome she wanted right. or expected, and she wasn't happy. Right. You know, so right. it, yeah, that was so, sort of a... So there's a couple of pieces there. One, I think until she, until she saw she was getting something different, she, didn't, she wasn't clear about what she wanted. Right. And she sure as heck hadn't c communicated what she was looking for to, right. to everybody else who was part of the planning. Right. And so, um, I mean, I think that's an interesting piece. It's that... Not only does the leader need to know what is this meeting about and in in broad sense what kind of outcomes are we looking for? I mean, I don't think you want those to be too narrow. But No, of course not. But but in a broad sense, you know, we need a decision on this or we need to have better understanding of that um is 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 enough for right. an outcome. But also then being able to communicate that to the people who are going to be in the meeting. Um, you have to have enough understanding of that to be able to let other people know. And by the way, absolutely, the facilitator has to know. <laughs> or you know, it's what's that? What is that saying? If you don't know where you're going, you'll probably you know yeah, end up someplace exactly. else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Well, I mean that that very much is an illustration of that. And yeah, yeah. I mean just. And and I think simple things like you know knowing, letting people know what the focus of the meeting is, what what's the reason that we are together, what purpose is it ahead of time, mm -hmm. if possible. Um, unless the the one exception to the ahead of time I see is is regular meetings that have like a retrospective or a weekly status meeting or something like that where. In general, people know why they're coming together, but you might have a different particularity each time. Mm -hmm. You announcing that at the beginning of the meeting is probably sufficient. People may or may not need to know sure. that coming. Sure, in. it depends sure. on whether they need to do any preparation or research right. or anything like right, that. Right, right. But so knowing that, and then you know, knowing, making sure that meetings aren't open ended, that there's a beginning and an end, mm -hmm. and people know that mm -hmm. that it's. You know, it's time definite, yeah. And have a sense of how how we're going to use the time, right? And you know, there's I think a lot been written about how to write good agendas for mm -hmm. meetings, right? Um, and there's a book I, yeah. you know, uh, making had meetings making work. meetings work. Yeah. yeah, I mean those those yeah. are good for some of the technical stuff, right? But you know, what beyond the, beyond that, there's some other issues. Well, yeah. so just. Thinking back to um, an experience we both had recently where we've 
we'd both gone through the human systems dynamics yeah, we've, institute training yeah, we've for, referenced that. Yeah. for 10 days um, last year. And we're doing it again this year as teaching assistants with Glenda Oyen. Uh, and the difference between this training and last training, besides some of Glenda's redesign work, which is good, um, is that in our class, there are a couple of folks who are uh, sort of movement groupies. Yeah. I don't know quite what yeah, to call movement them. Movement-oriented. Yeah. 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 And so Glenda gave them uh, permission to, in fact, encourage them to introduce movement into the meeting quite frequently, about once an hour. Yeah. And I think it was useful. Um, I think it helped people um, have a little mental break as well as a little physical break. And um, um, even people that might have felt silly um, doing a little yoga exercise or whatever, you know, because they were being encouraged to do it. And everyone was uh, And doing everyone it. was doing it, did it, and then felt the better for it. And I, I was thinking about, you know, some of the half-day or all-day meetings you and I facilitate and whatever, and that that's not something that I have consciously really made sure I do on a regular basis that probably I need to start doing. Mm -hmm. um, I can teach people Pilates moves. <laughs> um, but I mean, it, 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 it's all for the same purpose, right. you know? So did you feel it made a difference for you in terms of your ability to focus and sit in the meeting and? Um, I, well, absolutely. I mean, I, well, and, and more, I mean, I felt it, but I also could see it in the whole, in the group. Um, and I think, I think there were a number of elements. It's, at play there, there were the frequent shorter, frequent breaks, um, and, um, and some were quite short. I mean, it didn't always lead to a full-blown break. It, some of them no, were just movement them, breaks. Right, Stand just for up, five minutes. Move for, yeah, a few minutes and sit back down. And so it wasn't so long that you lost the thread of what you'd been talking about before. Um, I mean, at least that didn't happen for me. But it was enough to sort of get a different perspective. I mean, I think, I know it helped my thinking, and, and I believe it helped other people's thinking as well. Because just like, you know, coming into a regular meeting and taking a different chair than you normally take or whatever, anything that helps to uh, shift your perspective gives you a new way of thinking about whatever the issue is at hand. And certainly I think the movement did that. It also, I mean, what we forget, I think, a lot is that our brains run on oxygen. And that particularly if we are dealing with difficult issues, our, physiologically we have a tendency to hold our breath. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which starves our brains of mm -hmm. oxygen and makes it, you know, certain we're not going to be applying our best thinking to whatever the issue is. And so having that regular we're going to get up, we're going to stand, 
helps your breathing, helps oxygenate the brain. I mean, there's a lot going on there that's not just, it was fun, but it wasn't really about the fun and games aspect of it, although laughter also is good medicine. But really, it I think it improved the the kind of conversation that we were having and the kinds of discussions that we were having and so on mm-hmm. after. Yeah. And knowing that those were coming up was a whole other level of, of shift in yeah. the meeting. You know, you, even when you sat back down, you knew you weren't going to be sitting down for some unlimited number of hours. It was only going to be for a short period of time. Yeah, and 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 in addition to that, there were a couple of opportunities. I mean, the weather was very nice yeah. most of the time, so it was it was very yeah. fortunate. But a couple of times we went outside and did some kind of right. exercise, and I mean. It was in the service of teaching us an idea, right. um, but the getting up um, yeah. was movement. Um, just being outside, um, being in a different environment. Right. I mean, all of those things, I think, especially for different people, had lots of um, usefulness. Mm-hmm. and. When you talk to people about, you know, their meetings and, you know, I was in meetings all day. Mm -hmm. I mean, people are in virtually, in most organizations, they're inside and maybe they're in this conference room or they're in that conference room. But it's all the same. Yeah, the movement is just walking from one conference room to the next. Right, right. And not And maybe stopping for coffee. (laughs) Right. And not much sync time in between, not much time for reflection. I I remember the last year or year and a half that I worked in a in a real job and was managing a big department. I that was what my life was. It was from eight or eight fifteen in the morning till the end of the day, meeting after meeting after meeting, with no real time in between. By by the end of the week, I couldn't even remember one from the other. I mean, oh. it was exhausting. Yeah. And yet that's what we're asking people to do so, so mm. much of the time. Right. And I think that, you know, there needs to be some better way of handling that, managing that. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody thinks their meeting is so critical. Yeah, it's it, that's interesting to me in that in that so many managers and people who are in a management position end up going from meeting to meeting to meeting, and each person who owns the meeting, whatever whatever that might mean in a right. given situation, thinks theirs is the most important meeting of the day, obviously, or you know, or. Or sometimes I actually think we do fall into a pattern where we just have meetings because it's time for a meeting. I mean, we don't really stop to think about, is this the most important use of everybody's time right now? Um, is, you know, does everybody need to focus? 
who are the right people to be in this meeting? That's another big issue. Well, that of course, that's the perennial. Yeah, you know. I mean, because so so often, so often people get invited to meetings. They show up for meetings without having really thought about what what's this meeting got to do with me or my work or, I mean, if it's there's some important information, yeah, well, sure. But I think people end up in meetings. I know. I know I end up in meetings that I don't really know why I'm there. Mm -hmm. Or I, I used to. I've gotten much better about mm -hmm. opting out, mm -hmm. about saying, um, recently there was an organization that I was a part of where I have been a part of a, a, a certain committee in the organization. And um, the leadership of committees got... And, got reassigned and sort of redone for the coming year. And it was just assumed that because I had been on that committee, I would continue to be on that committee, but a bunch of other people were interested. And so if I had stayed on that committee, it would have been a committee of like 10 people. Wow. Which is ridiculous. And so I just said, I, I don't think I need to be a part of this anymore. I can, mm -hmm. I can better serve... Mm -hmm. our collective intent in some other way. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. and I think that's an, that's an important step to be able to say, I don't really understand why I'm being invited to this meeting. Mm -hmm. Can you help me? How will I contribute? What will, what will I take away? And if I'm not, I mean, in the open space sense, if I'm not going to learn anything I need to know, and if I'm not going to be able to contribute to anything... Right. Why, am I, why, why would I, I be there? there? Exactly. Maybe I should take my two feet and go somewhere else, right? Yeah. I mean, that's applying that rule, that law of two feet to life. Right. And and I and that's I think a really important one. And I don't see people doing that as much. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think it would shake things up considerably. So that's that's I think a pattern that we yeah. see in. Um, a lot of organizations that that meetings, who needs to be there, what the purpose is, right. all of that is not well defined. Yeah, and um, I wonder, you know, if I mean one of the principles that we've learned from the HSD training is that often when we see a pattern at one level, if we look a little bit above and a little bit below, we see the pattern replicated. And, you know, I wonder um, if in those organizations where where we hear about that from middle managers, right. um, how much of that is, is the pattern up and down the organization. Right. right. Well, and, I, and I'd like to go back to something that you said earlier, which is this idea that the person who, who owns the meeting, who's leading the meeting, isn't necessarily the right person to facilitate the meeting. And I know most organizations now don't have a big cadre of facilitators to call on, although that used to be the case at one time. Well, for a while, for during a while, the like, yeah. TQM yeah. years, that was a big thing. That was a big thing. And... Um, and more, more often, um, the same person who's calling the meeting or convening the meeting is expected to, uh, 
lead it and facilitate it. And the difference being leading it has to do with making sure the right content is being covered and introducing the content and so on. Facilitating it making, is making sure that the discussions go, um, go well, that you actually get to, you have a process in the group that get, gets you to the outcome that you're looking for. And putting those, those, those are really two separate jobs and putting them together, um, you know, muddles that. And, and somehow your, your question about, you know, are meetings happening in a similar way all up and down the organization um, made me think about that and made me think about you know, are executives in organizations getting the support that they need for making their meetings effective? Um, do they call on, is, is a given executive calling on somebody, either one of the people attending the meeting or some skilled professional right, outside, right, right. Um, to come in and help them with those meetings? I uh, There was a um, a group I worked with at a government agency here in Portland for a while, and it um, it was a government agency that had uh, sort of regional regional uh, responsibilities, and so all of the managers from all around the region would come together on a monthly basis and have discussions about issues that were of common common concern and the person who was convening those meetings arranged to have me be a facilitator for those meetings and I and I don't know what stimulated him to do that you know why he had that idea that mm -hmm. if we have mm -hmm. a facilitator maybe that will help but he did that, and we worked together for about 18 months. Mm -hmm. um, he would come up with the content, then he would get in touch with me, and we would talk about what the flow of the meeting would need to be and put together an agenda that would get sent out to everybody. Right. Everybody would come together, come to the meeting. And um, at the end of that time, there was some question in the organization about... Uh, whether having me as a part of that had been really worthwhile. So that the organization wanted mm -hmm. to evaluate whether mm -hmm. the money they were spending to have me show up made sense. Right. Right. And in the end, the, the manager said, well, you know, collectively, we as a group are managing $200 million, a $200 million portfolio. Mm -hmm. He said, I think Diana helped us a lot. Uh -huh. He said, but even if conservatively I say she only helped us do 1% better, she saved this agency $2 million yeah. or a year. Yeah. Right? And, and, I, and I always have always, you know, I mean, that's kind of, it was kind of an interesting thing for me to hear. And, and I wonder if, if people who have those kinds of meetings that are, dealing with high stakes really stopped to think about how much they could benefit by partnering with someone who could help them make their meetings better. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, you know, I I remember that era, yeah. and um, you and I both did a right. lot of that. Right. Just facilitation. Right. And um, I don't see very much of that happening anymore. No. I mean, the meetings have to be now a pretty high-stakes meeting before yeah. they'll bring in somebody from the outside. Um, and partially, I think people have you know, have gotten more sophisticated and know a little bit more themselves, but... <laughs> At least you hope that. I hope so, yeah. <laughs> but, but I know when I've been in that situation where I'm trying to lead and facilitate a meeting, it's really hard. It's hard. Because the roles are different. Yeah. And if, if, you, if you speak uh, as the leader, if you put your personal opinion in there as the leader, it carries a lot of weight. And yet it's hard to like have no opinion and be totally neutral like the facilitator uh, and just let the discussion go wherever it's going to go. I mean, th those often are opposing roles and you can say, okay, now I'm putting my leader's hat on. Yeah. But people can't hold that, I mean, yeah. they, then five minutes later, when as the facilitator, you say, okay, I think we've spent mm -hmm. enough time on this, they, they, they can't see that you're right. doing that from a facilitation viewpoint. They think, okay, well, leader got the answer they want. Now we, now they, they're ready to just close off the meeting and move, you know, right. whatever. So I think, I think it's dicey to do yeah. that. Um, and even people who think they're good at it are mostly right. not as good as they think. Yeah. yeah. I'm not very good when I'm really trying to do both right. roles. I thought some of the worst meetings I ever ran were the meetings at the, for the board of the Women's Center mm -hmm. because I was both the leader, you know, and the, the facilitator very yeah. difficult. Even when you're very, very skilled as a facilitator, right. it's so hard to do that. When um, I was just in Sweden a couple of weeks ago, and I was working with a group of folks there who were trying to um, increase the effectiveness of their agile adoption. It's been going fairly well, but they, there's always room for improvement. And I, I was working with a manager and a, a at a coach they have a coach for the whole effort and um, a group of scrum masters that each is working with a team and out of our discussions um, one of the outcomes came uh, a, a an action that has actually I've seen work very well other places too but the, and that they really want to try which is They've all gotten pretty good, all of this, this particular group of Scrum Masters have gotten pretty good at leading retrospectives, but they're still leading the retrospectives for their own teams. Mm. And so we talked about, well, what if you swapped? You know, what if so-and-so led your retrospective, you lead theirs, so, you know, however that can work. And they were very intrigued by the idea. And actually, that's happened in a number of organizations where there is a, a larger cadre of either project managers or scrum masters who know how to lead that kind of meeting, 
know how to lead a planning meeting, know how to lead a retrospective, know how to lead a product demo meeting, whatever it might be, and bring somebody from a different team in to facilitate so that as Scrum Master or as product owner, you can be in charge or, or at least helping to contribute to the content of the meeting as opposed to trying to do both, like mm-hmm. you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And I think that is one of those scaling issues. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. why couldn't, at, a, at a, a different level of the organization, managers lead each other's meetings? I mean, it's a wonderful way to or facilitate each other's meetings because it's a wonderful way to spread knowledge across the organization as well. Well, and to also yeah. maybe be less married to the outcomes. Yes. Um, so that yeah. um, they can really serve in a more, if you will, neutral, yeah. facilitative role. Right, right. Yeah. So the person who is married to the outcome can stick with that, <laughs> and but have some help in making sure that the meeting is both efficient and effective. Right. Because you really, in a meeting, you really want both. Right. Next time, we're going to spend some time talking about uh, this new book, Lean In, Cheryl Sandberg's new book, and all of the controversy about that. Tune in next week. Please leave your comments on our blog or email us, info at futureworksconsulting.com. This has been Episode 7 of Season 3 of Partnerships and Possibilities. Thanks for listening.